0: Welcome to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast, where I interview some of the best coaches in the business to find their secrets and share them with the world. I'm Scott Ritzheimer, founder and CEO of Scale Architects, and we help founders and leaders find the right coach at the right time so they can achieve the predictable success they deserve. And a huge part of that is helping great coaches do great work that creates enormous demand for their services with way less effort. If you're a high demand coach, I'd absolutely love to share your story and expertise as well. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome, welcome once again to The Secrets of the High Demand Coach podcast. And I am here with yet another high demand coach, and that is the one, the only Wayne Barringer. Now, in 2018, Wayne climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, and it is a transformative experience that has changed his focus on leadership and how to help people at work on their climb to fulfillment and success. The lessons he learned on that trip up Kilimanjaro helped him to transform a very struggling team uh, from Boeing. Uh, They had a 52% employee satisfaction rating, not great, and was able to turn it around to 89%, which is awesome, in three years. Since then, he's helped teams from billion-dollar companies such as Hasbro, Cognizant, UKG, and universities such as UW Medicine and Jackson State University, as well as nonprofits, small companies, and more. Now his life's mission is to guide those who want to achieve more peace and fulfillment and impact at work. Well, Wayne, I'm excited to have you here. I cannot wait to dive into this, but I've just got to hear the story, right? Uh, It's not an easy track. I've got some friends who've done it. I don't know that I'm that brave, right? (laughs) But but I'd love to hear just a little bit, what was it like climbing uh, a mountain that high and then how does that translate into the work that you do for clients today?
1: Great question. First of all, I'll tell you, uh, I didn't know I was that brave either. So uh, I had an executive coach when I was in Boeing. And one of the things he did was he took a number of his clients from around the country on a rock climbing trip. So he, uh, he put it together, he paid for it. We just had to get there. And I never rock climbed before. I never really even climbed mountains before. And the night before the rock climbing trip, we were all having dinner, a couple glasses of wine, and he, at the end of the dinner, said, hey, here's some photos of a trip I do every September. Would you like to go to Kilimanjaro? And of course, we all, in a landed, uh, not very many barriers state, said, yeah, we'd love to do that. And I woke up the next day and said, what have I just agreed to do? He might be able to tell by my voice, I've got some breathing challenges I've had, surgeries on my throat and things. And so, all of that started to come in. Like, wow. what am I down this mountain is 19,000 feet plus. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, so, just know that if you're a little fearful, I believe now that's just your body and your mind. Get me ready. So, um, so we took that, you know, we trained all summer. Uh, I asked 32 of my friends, emailed them and said, hey, I'm going on this trip you wanted to go with. What I didn't do is give him a glass of wine before I asked him that question <laughs> because only one person said yes out of all 32. I coerced my oldest son to go and uh, another friend of a friend wound up going. So I had four buddies uh, and then there were four others there. Um, seven-day trip, uh, just a phenomenal experience. Very challenging, but it is not like Mount Everest. right? So people don't die going to Kilimanjaro. Like I think it's one out of ten or something die on an Everest, which is just insane. It's a whole that's a whole different level of danger and, and things like that. This is basically a seven day hike, where you're sleeping on the ground um, on a mountain in the middle of Africa. It's it's phenomenal. Well, wow. it's challenging. It's inspiring. It's it's all the things. Well,
0: wow. I uh, I had a connecting flight once in Salt Lake City, Utah. And just walking across the air, uh, airport at 4,000 feet, I was like. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the hike I think I could do. Even the climbing uh, sounds interesting. And just getting used to the elevation has always just has it, got the best of me. But so walk me through a little bit. You're standing up on top of uh, of Mount Kilimanjaro. What goes through your, your mind at, at a moment like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, when you're at the top, um it's the most amazing feeling. Let me set the stage for why. You know, he spent six months training, you know, about fear and, and anxiety and, and elation and all the things that go with training and anticipating a trip like that. Um, on day three, up the mountain, I turned to one of my friends and said, I think we overtrained. Like, I feel like Superman. This is fantastic. 30 minutes later, I blacked out. I was disoriented. Uh-huh. I didn't know where I was. Uh, and I uh, my sense was there was nobody else around me and I was lost I know, in Africa. Just at the most stressed moment, the head guide of the whole trip showed up and I was very emotional, like, oh my God, I'm so glad to see you, like tears and hugs. And he took my backpack, put it on his back yeah. and said, just, step in my footsteps and we'll get to the next camp an amazing transformative moment and three days later the guy with the funny voice in the small airway is up at the top of the roof of africa is what they call it the highest mountain on that continent yeah. so when you're at the top having gone through whatever anyone has to go through to get there uh just amazing the most beautiful sunrise you can imagine from an elevation that and we just don't get to see it unless you're in an airplane, Rugby. Really. 360 degrees, um, the most amazing, you know, bond with the people you climbed with, and those guides that did everything you can imagine to help you get there. Those guys are there, too. It's, it's just awesome. And in business, we often feel, and sometimes in life, like we're in and alone, and it's all into me and all this. That's one of the things I learned on that trip. It's... It's not just up to you. Like, yes, I made I, yes, I put my feet in front of the other. But there were a bunch of people. Without who I I wouldn't have a story. I wouldn't have been able to do it. I I probably would have just passed out up there and who knows when it would have happened. So that's a big lesson is you always got help. You just have to find it, or sometimes it finds you. Wow. Wow.
0: So you, you come back, you're kind of back to the, the a little bit of the real world. It's hard to say that anything would be more real than that, but you're back to, let's say, the the corporate world. And uh, when did it, it start to, to strike you that some of the things you learned on that track were going to be applicable, not just on the side of a mountain, but as you're working inside of an organization?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, at that time, I was at Boeing. And when you're in a like, like a W-2 environment, I've learned now being, you know, a consultant and out of my own, uh, consulting business that the mindset of a W2 employee, at least for me, was not the same mindset that required is required of me now. Hmm. So it took a little bit for some of the real lessons to emerge. Um, but, um, some of the initial lessons were even that piece about help where like, there were times in that big turnaround at Boeing with the, it, it was, it was not the whole company, obviously. It was one team, a creative marketing team, among a few hundred people. And when you're doing a turnaround going like that, it can feel like all the pressure's on you, like you, like you can't breathe very well sometimes and all that. And yeah. What I learned from that is see, just look around, there's, there's help, there's connections. And sometimes we get in our own way, of making those connections. And if you just kind of seek it out, it will find you. And and that was one of the key lessons. Wow.
0: So fast forward then to today, uh, you're not in a W2 role anymore. You've been helping uh, uh, businesses for a while now, some very, very reputable uh, organizations. What would you say some of the most important work you're doing today for your clients? Yeah, I think um, I see a lot of companies, teams and
1: individuals in distress. Uh, at work. And it's clearly on worse since COVID or at least it has changed a bit since COVID We're much more tech reliant Now everything is virtual now or so much more as virtual. Now uh, we've seen the quantities of work requested of marketing teams increase. Mm. And in some cases in particular with tech companies, the number of people that get that work done has decreased. So there's a lot of distress and it's really why it changed the name of my company to the Jaro group after the Kilimanjaro experience, because this distress is not like what I felt, you know, that day that I sort of blacked out on the mountain. All we try to do is take the backpacks off the backs of, of our clients mm. and help them get to where they're trying to go. If they don't use a guy, this is one thing that, this is one thing I did know, uh, Quite a few years ago, and then the other statistic I learned after the Kilimanjaro piece, Harvard Business Review says that 70% of corporate change in America fails. The greatest economy, some of the greatest companies in the history of the world, and two thirds of the time, we fail trying to make improvement at an organizational level. 70% of the people that attempt to climb Kilimanjaro succeed. So 70% failure, 70% success, what's the difference? Well, The difference on Kilimanjaro is we had about 30 guides helping us up that mountain. There is no way we could have made it without the 30. There's water, there's food, there's tents, there's all the things for a week. The same is true in corporations. A lot of leaders don't hire guides because they think they have to do it themselves or... They want it to do themselves, but the ones that do succeed, and we want to be there for those, you know, critical few that know they need to help, them, know they want help, and uh, they know they can't do it themselves, or they can do it better with some help that have been there with.
0: So, folks who have listened to the podcast for a while will know that I had some really bad experiences with with coaches early on, and and I bought into that exact thing that you're talking about. Of you know, if it's going to happen, it's up to me, right? Uh, and and I would say it was up to me and my team. We was in in that bubble, right? But we 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 were not great at looking outside, and and then we clumsily went out looking for help when we got stuck, and and that didn't work very well either. Uh, also had just a couple of tremendous coaches that that produced this huge transformation for us, uh, both as an organization and me as a leader. Uh, so I've seen both sides of that. But you're right. A lot of folks, uh, particularly. For managers, uh, I've found for for kind of mid level meter leaders or or folks inside of bigger enterprises, there's this sense of well, if that if it's not my job to figure those things out, then what is my job, right? If I bring you in, it's an admission of defeat. Uh, it's 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 some sign of inadequacy. So how how do you help folks to overcome that because it's dead wrong. Uh, it is a hundred
1: percent dead wrong. I uh, totally agree with that. And and again, it just goes back to the thing that we've been talking about here for a minute, which is whether you think you're alone or you're not, you are getting help from somewhere. And the whole notion is why would you not want your organization to perform at the very best and you as an individual to perform at the very best. And if you think you're that primary intelligence to do that, you're just mistaken. You just haven't gained the knowledge and the perspective to see differently. There's some very few people, very few, that are so confident in their abilities and so self-reliant and so driven and determined. And we know who they are. Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, like the list is short. But for the rest of us mere mortals, some of that perspective is massive. So what we try to do to help them is we give a lot of information, a lot of tips and tricks away. To, to help them understand that everybody thinks they know, for example, how to manage their own calendar. But the very first thing when I ask people, what is your number one challenge? They say, I'm so busy, I don't know what to do with myself. Well, wait a minute, right? So when we've come up with a very simple formula, it's called the one, two, three, on your calendar formula, that you can eliminate the average client of ours, can eliminate this Four to eight hours of unnecessary meetings a week. That's just with this simple trick. So those are some of the things that we try to help people see, without charging anything. And then you know, with our with our uh, paying clients, with our engaged situations, we can go much deeper than that. We we help them saving you know, and more time than that. So that's just an example of how people can kind of get out of their own way, we can help them see a, a broader view. Yeah.
0: It's fascinating to think about it, and and I've seen some of the things with some of our clients, and, you know, there's just so much that we're hanging on to that we don't need to be hanging on to anymore. And and it it just takes, sometimes it just takes an outside perspective to just shine a light on that for a moment, you you know, because these are smart leaders. They're not incompetent people. Owning your calendar is not rocket science, but it's perspective that's missing. Right, and someone bringing a coach in from the outside is such a great way of, of of adding to that. Now, I noticed as I was kind of researching some of the work that you do that uh, you've got this cool um, sense of adding some structure where it's necessary and removing some structure where it's getting in the way. Right. So, how do you help folks to kind of understand if they have you know maybe not enough process or or too much system and process, and it's getting in the way of their effectiveness? Yeah,
1: Absolutely, I think. Uh we see in the marketing space and, and the, the clients that we tend to have more of are the creative that kind of the execution marketing teams because those teams tend to tend to be bigger. They have to deliver. And so there's a level of efficiency and impact, they have to drive as opposed to just sort of not just strategy, but you know, being focused on some things that are a little less tangible.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, we often get asked to come and help, you know, fix a process or our process is broken. And when we do that, when we go in and investigate that through discovery, what we always find, and I certainly found this through the successes and the mistakes that we made at Boeing and pick with that team, that all process is, is a reflection of the strategy, the structure and the talent on top of that process. Yeah. So we always counsel, and, and this is the primary thing that we love to help teams and, and groups too. What is your North Star? What's your organization's purpose for being? What's that 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 North Star? What's that one beacon that in confusion, in times of chaos, you can look at it and go, Oh, yeah, that's the path we're on. If you don't have that, it doesn't matter what your process is, it's gonna be wrong. Yeah. The next level is structure. So once you have that north star. What roles do you need in the organization to achieve that north star? Not people's names. That's another thing we we see people do is we say uh, they say oh, we need to you well, he Can help us do that. Well, why do you need to reorg Well, I just want to move Johnny over here into Susie's role. Okay, why? Right? Like people are just they're they're stuck on the familiar, which is a very human yeah. trait and characteristic. So if you can look at the structure without names, just the roles and the outcomes you need from those roles, yeah. now you've got the framework that you need. And then you can look at the talent yeah. and put the best people, not just everybody in your group, the best people for those new roles into those roles, and then find out where you have gaps and do some teaching, do some coaching, provide some skills that some of the other folks don't yet have, so they can maybe fill those rings. And then where you can't, you need to sometimes supplement from the outside. So then underneath I mean, that's process and then tools. But if you don't have those top three, you're not gonna have the right processes or tools.
0: So this idea we we call it heads to hats, right? This transition of, you know, P, you know the person wearing the hat to the actual hat that we need worn. And and what I found is one it's really hard to think that way, isn't it? Right, especially when you're not used to thinking that right? way. You know, and, and even if you watch a team during a session, I'm sure you've seen this as well. Like they'll start with a bunch of names, and make like, well, no, what we really need is their roles. What what we, what are we looking for? And they'll go to roles, and then you'll go to like let's execute on this, and they'll go right back to names again. You know, it's just it's this habitual human, like you said, thing. But what I've found makes that process hard are the conversations that happen between where we are heads-based right uh people-based to we've actually got people in the right seats with the right hats on and 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 what where i see org chart endeavors fail is that we won't step into those conversations is that something that you've seen as well
1: yeah i just love the way you said that absolutely i, I think you know, the whole notion of You know, leaders, and especially leaders today, want to be servant leaders. They want to be connected to their teams. They almost want to caretake their teams. And when you caretake, they become family, and they become family. You don't don't get rid of them. You don't, you know. We always talk about a continuum, and that continuum on one end is this idea of caretaking, which is, almost what people first has become, which is the needs of the people and the most important thing goes almost on the business. So it's an extreme, very few people are on this extreme, but many, many people are toward this side. The other side is high performance. And the extreme side of that is sort of this autocratic, you know, work at their highest level of efficiency and, and those sort of things. Very few people today are over here either. But, we see people toward either end and what we try to help them do is see that there's a sweet spot. If it's one to 10 between four five and six, where you want to kind of be most of the time, certainly we want to care about people. We want to support people. And if the business isn't performing, people aren't going to have roles and they're not going to be fulfilled. So that's, I love your point, and And we talk about this all the time. And this is the yeah. kind of a, a model that we try and use.
0: Yeah. That caretaker, it right? goes straight to the heart of the issue, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, it's it's and because you know servant leaders, it's fascinating. You'll see, uh, and it, the someone will sit there and they'll look over at the high performance autocratic and and, and pride themselves on not being that, and right. and then if we're not careful, we'll end up hiding behind that servant leadership thing, and and being a servant leader is not shying away from difficult conversations. That's right, right being a servant leader is actually stepping into those difficult conversations because you know it's right for for the team. Oh, yeah, we're, 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 we're stepping on some toes here, Wayne. Uh, we're stepping on some toes. So um, let's just kind of walk through the process because I think it's a really, really big one. Um, and And it's been one of the more transformative changes I've seen organizations make. I'd love to hear when it comes time to have some of those conversations, What what are some ways that uh, maybe what are some ways that we do that wrong, and and what are some ways that we can do it right?
1: I think the biggest way that I used to do it wrong, and I would just be the first to raise my hand, is that you go into it with a sense of anxiety and confrontation. Mm. As a leader, this person in my mind is not doing their job. That frustrates me because I have to have this conversation in the first place. I just want it to be autopilot. Why can't you do what you're supposed to do? Right. Like, that's all the junk that goes on up here. And if that's what you allow yourself to go into the conversation with, it's, it is done from the start. If you can go into it with a completely different mindset, and, and this takes some, some personal work at first, uh, before, right? Like, what we always start by asking clients who is the leader you want to become? Mm. And Almost every every prospect or client says, wow, I've never thought about that. I've thought about the titles that I want and the promotions that I haven't got yet and the money that I want to make. That has nothing to do with the person inside you. That's going to come in times of good or times of challenge. Who is that leader you want to become? And if you can do some of that work and understand some of the techniques of being balanced and in the moment, And you can go into those hard conversations and be a caretaker and a high performance leader at the same time, just because you want high performance does not mean we're shaking our fingers at people. It is accountability with, you know, this mentality instead of this mentality. So that's one of the best ways that I've learned is is you don't want to be that person. And, And we're always regretful when we let ourselves slip into that. So it just takes practice and sort of, you know, hypothetical muscle building uh, to be able to enter it with that notion of, hey, here's what we said we were gonna do, here's what we did and didn't do, here's how I'm gonna help you get it done, and then you're gonna be able to do it yourself.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's so easy to jump straight into, uh, that's their problem, right? I'm dealing with their problem. And and if we don't check ourselves before we walk through the door, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful advice in there. All right, so here's a question I like to ask everyone, uh, and it's this, what is the biggest secret that you wish just wasn't a secret at all? What's that one thing that you wish everybody out there listening or watching today knew?
1: Man, that is a great question. I I would say that for me, the biggest secret that I never knew uh, until I started doing this work and really started diving into how do you help people and and Thing that helped me is this notion that you don't always have to be hyper competitive and then frustrated when things don't work out, that you can be intense about what you want to accomplish and be balanced about the outcome Mm -hmm. and be balanced about the people around you as opposed to putting some people here and some people here. So this notion of balanced perspective and intensity and detachment from the outcome, we've all always heard that. I probably heard it for ten years before it finally like, oh, it actually works better. You know, there's a fear of letting go of yeah. what we're conditioned to be. So I'd say that's the, that's the big thing for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was that was a lesson that, that it took a long time for me as well. And I have to credit uh, my experience with that to uh, to Les McHugh a friend and mentor of mine uh, and, and close colleague and. You know his ability to to step all the way in with care and compassion and and that intensity and then walk away, you know, completely unfazed by what came of it. You know, it's it's it's, yeah, it's it's a skill, but even more than that, I think to your point, it's a mindset, right? If we can walk in with that mindset, it's far easier to engage fully uh, and and not be caught on uh, what could possibly go wrong. So yeah. good. So we one more question for you and then I want to make sure folks know how they can get in touch with you uh, and hear more about your work. But before we get there, I'm going to have you take your coach consultant hat off for a moment, put your CEO hat on, if you will, jump down into the ring with the rest of us. What's the next stage of growth look like for you uh, and your business and what challenge will you have to overcome to get there?
1: Yeah, I think uh, another great question. Our big challenge for 2024 and beyond is scale. Mm. So um, the more we get out there, the more we find uh, the people that our message resonates with. And till now, it's been amazing for me to be, you know, the primary part of of a lot of that interaction. I know as, as we look to 24 and, and then we're 25, that scalability and that ability for me to be able to use what some people call my unique ability right. and let the other things be entrusted and then it'll train and then trust more to others. Hmm. That's a big key. Um, we're going to do more workshops than we've ever done this year. Like they're probably going to be a little larger than they've ever been. And hopefully even, you know, 10x the value. That just doesn't happen because Wayne has a wish, right? There has to be work and like we you know, just to come full circle. there's going to be a group of people that are going to need to help with that, which I'm very blessed to have along with me. So I say that's the big key for us is the ability to scale and for me to get out of my own way too. Yeah.
0: Uh, uh, hard, but exciting. Hard, yes. Hard, but very, especially when, and, and a lot of founders face this, um, especially when they're in this kind of professional service where to an extent you are the product, right? We start separating those two. It's like, whoa, wait a second. Who actually am I? If If I'm not the, you know. Uh, and so there's yeah it's it's it again it's exciting but a challenging time so I'm looking forward to to these workshops amplifying your impact I think it's going to be fantastic more people need to hear from you and on that note how can folks find more out about uh, maybe your w- workshops or uh, the work that you do for your clients Yeah
1: no that's great uh, I'm on LinkedIn of course LinkedIn slash Wayne Barringer uh, the Jaro group is a uh, corporate page on LinkedIn uh, our website is jaro.win. So J-A-R-O, like Kilimanjaro, dot um, And then my email is Wayne at Jaro Super happy to help anybody uh, who wants or needs a tool or a tip. There's lots of content on our LinkedIn page, completely free. We are not people that try to sell. Our mindset is we enroll. So if you're looking for what we offer, well, let, you know what we offer and, and you're you can enroll. So uh, there's no strings to to any of that and uh, long to help anybody that uh, is looking for Fantastic.
0: Well, Wayne, just a phenomenal conversation. I so enjoyed it. There's so much richness and depth in there. Thank you so much. And for those of you watching and listening, you know your time and attention mean the world to us. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I know I did, and I cannot wait to see you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any of those episodes, go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.